All right. Hello. Good morning, everybody. <laughs> How are you guys doing this morning? Good. So as you guys just saw from that video, that video, first of all, Kids Camp recap was amazing. Let's just give a hand for everyone who served. Thank you, guys. Um, as you guys saw, today we are starting our summer book series, and I have the pleasure of kicking it off. So as a church this summer, we are going to be reading through the book Don't Give the Enemy a Seat at Your Table by Louis Giglio, which is based off of Psalm 23. Who has the book? Anybody? Oh, nice. Has anyone started reading it yet? Very nice. You guys are good students. <laughs> um, so this is based off of Psalm 23, and today I will be starting us off going into this psalm. But before we start, if you don't know me, my name is Natalie. I am 22 years old, born and raised here in Cornwall. Um, I got saved at this church when I was 13 years old. I came to a youth service here, and I heard about Jesus and his desire to have a relationship with me. I gave my life to him, changed my life, and I was also welcomed into this amazing community. I had a lot of young adults and couples who poured a lot of time and energy into me, guiding me through high school. Um, I got to serve in kids' ministry and youth ministry, and then when I graduated high school, I took a gap year, and I worked here 2017, 2018, doing some media stuff and cleaning, basically spending all of my time in this building, um, and then I decided to go off to school, so I packed up and moved to the West Coast, to Portland, Oregon, studied at Portland Bible College for four years, just graduated with my bachelor's of theology, and I'm excited to be home. Um, and I, as I was finishing up my studies, well, felt very called to come back home, to come back to this community that poured so much into me. And I don't know about you guys, but I believe that God is on the move in Ontario and in Cornwall. I think he is waking people up to the good news of the gospel. And I am convinced that the church is God's tool for saving the world. And I'm excited to be part of it. Amen. Who's with me? Okay. I will get off that soapbox, leave you with that, and get into what I'm actually talking about today, which is Psalm 23. Um, and I think we've probably all heard this psalm. It is very popular, and I think that that is great that it is popular because it is full of some beautiful imagery. Um, it's very intimate, but I think one problem with passages that we've all heard a million times is that we can get numb to the truth that it holds for us and kind of like block our ears because we're like, oh, I've heard that before. Um, but who knows that scripture is alive and active in our life. Um, so my hope this morning is that we can look at this psalm with new eyes and new ears and see everything that Jesus wants to speak to us today in this passage, speaking directly to our context and our circumstance. So that is my hope. We'll jump into it. And this psalm is only six verses long, so I actually thought we could read it all together before we get started. So I will count us in. Um, you guys can throw up the first part on the screen. Okay, you guys ready? One, two, three. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. 
Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Okay, can I pray for you guys? Lord, thank you so much for this day, for this opportunity to gather in community and to worship and to hear your word, Lord. We just pray that you open up ears and soften hearts and speak exactly what you want to speak to today. We just pray that everyone here would know that they were brought into this room this morning for a purpose, that you have something specific. You want to speak to every individual in this room. Pray that you just bless our time together. Amen. All right, so this psalm was written by a man named David. Who all knows David? Yes, we know this man. One moment. <laughs> so we know David as a rock-slinging, Goliath-slaying young man, but he worked as a shepherd. So he was intimately familiar with sheep and the lifestyle of a shepherd, which we're going to see in the psalm today. But as he grew, he was very successful in Battle. So he would go off to battle, fight lots of people, was very successful, and this made it so that the king at the time, Saul, became very jealous of him. And as his jealousy boiled, he sent out to attack David. He sent his men after him to hunt him down and to kill him. So David found himself on the run, all alone, in the wilderness, in hiding as he was surrounded by people coming to attack him and to hunt him down. Yet, in the Psalms that are attributed to this time in David's life, specifically Psalm 18, 52, 53, and 57, David seems to have a confident trust in the Lord, despite really being under attack and being surrounded. And maybe you guys are better than me, but this is not my natural stance when I am under attack, even when little things go wrong in the day. Like, I am not kidding. I will spill my coffee and be like, Lord, you have forsaken me. Like, where are you in my time of trial? Um, So let alone being under attack. So seriously, we could learn. um, Is it possible for us to learn how to walk through times of doubt uncertainty, insecurity, fear, loneliness, or really when we seem to feel like we are under attack with the kind of peace that David seems to find in the Lord. How do we face these challenging circumstances and not allow the enemy to speak lies to us? I think we find our answer in this psalm, but only if we really hear it and see it for what it is. Not a cliche psalm that is probably stitched into your grandma's pillow, um, but David's anthem of real confident trust in the Lord. So let's get into it. Are you guys with me? Okay. So first verse, you guys can throw up. Oh, it's already there. Amazing. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. So in scripture, God is often called a shepherd of his people, especially the Israelites. So this is not what is significant in this passage. What is unique is the use of the word my. So often in the Psalms, God is referred to as a king or deliverer, a rock, a shield. But here, this is very intimate language. 
to describe God. And David would have been very familiar with the job of a shepherd, as he was also a shepherd. Um, The shepherd lives with the sheep, provides for the sheep's needs, leads them, directs them. And honestly, the sheep are fairly helpless on their own. So in John 10, 11, Jesus depicts himself as a shepherd. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So the very first line of this psalm gives us an incredible invitation that Jesus wants to be our good shepherd. He wants to be our personal, attentive, and intimately involved in our everyday lives, in every moment of our lives. And we are a lot like sheep, which is not necessarily a compliment. Um, But we were designed by God and for God, which means we were made to be led And we are not very good at making it on our own, which no one likes to hear. I know if you're anything like me, you hear this and you're like, no, like nobody tells me what to do. I can do it on my own. I'm independent. But here is the thing. If God is not leading in our life, someone or something else is. You may want to say, no, no, I'm leading in my life. And that's cool. But my question for you is, how is that going? Are you satisfied? Because this verse says that when the Lord is my shepherd, I am not in want. I am satisfied. I have everything I need. So do you have want? Maybe you are trying to lead your own life. Um, and scripture actually tells us that you're not. So Second Peter 2, 19, it's kind of intense, but it says people are slaves to whatever has mastered them. So you think that you're driving your life? Actually, whatever is mastering you, whatever is motivating you, whether that's money, power, quote, freedom, sorry to break it to you, but the Bible tells us that we're actually slaves to those desires. And if God is not leading your life, something else is, and I can promise you that it will not satisfy. But this is actually good news because right at the beginning of the series today, um, we all have an opportunity to say, Jesus, all right, be my good shepherd. Take the lead on my life. I want to only desire you. Maybe I desire other things, but I want to desire you more than anything else. And I want to take my hands off the wheel of my life and be led by you. And David has discovered that when the Lord is my shepherd, I don't need anything else. This is amazing. So in Deuteronomy 2, 7, the Israelites experience this. It says, the Lord God has blessed you and the work of your hands. He has watched over your journey through this vast wilderness. These 40 years, the Lord your God has been with you and you have not lacked anything. And Psalm 34, 10 says, the lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. And we know that Jesus taught this in Matthew 6. He is talking to a big crowd of people and he says, look at the birds, God feeds them. And aren't we more valuable than them? And see the flowers, they don't work, but God clothes them. And they're here today and gone tomorrow. So won't he give you food and clothes? And he says to them, don't worry about getting your wants and your needs met. Your heavenly father knows that you need them. So... The Lord is my shepherd. Jesus is my good shepherd. What does a good shepherd provide for his sheep? And I think Psalm 23 goes into four things that I want to quickly highlight for you guys. So the first is rest. And if you guys have your notes, you already have that. If you're taking notes, you can write it down. Okay. 
Verse 2 says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. Green pastures. This sounds so nice. I don't know about you guys, but I imagine like that scene from, um, what is it? I wrote it down. Oh, that scene from The Sound of Music when she's like, the hills are alive. You know, there's a reason I'm not on the worship team, everybody. Uh, That was your sample. That's all you're going to get. Okay, but seriously, we all need the green pastures of rest, but we are not always smart enough to like lie down. I don't know if you guys notice in this verse, but it actually says he makes me lie down. So I don't think I know that I want it. Um, And if you don't, Take your rest. I promise you, circumstance will force you to. How many people know that already? Um, and this actually happened to me this week. So last week was kids camp, which was amazing and fun and very busy. And I was not smart. And I was like, I don't need a break. I'm going to be so productive this week. I'm going to prepare for Sunday. It's going to be great. And then I got like a pretty bad cold. And so I was like out for like half of the week. Um, And I'm like, it's summer. Who gets a cold? Apparently a lot of people. Uh, But I was out like half the week, definitely forced to slow down. And that is the thing is a good shepherd will make sure that we get the thing that we need that we're not naturally inclined to know for ourselves that we need or to take. Um, God wants to bless us, to lead us into these safe and pleasant green pastures. Um, But we actually need to trust in order to lie down here. I don't know about you guys, but I find it very hard to sleep when I'm high stress. Uh, I was reminded of that last night. (laughs) And um, if you're anything like me, When you're told to rest or relax, you're like, wait, but if I stop doing this or that, things will get done. I won't have enough time. Like, it's really great that other people take rest, but like, I, I just can't. And here's the thing, uh, not to be brutal, but you don't make the world go round. Um, our culture is inundated with the idea that our worth is in what we accomplish and even that we have to earn our lives. But God reminds us that our lives are a gift, that every day that we wake up with breath in our lungs is God's gracious gift to us and nothing we can do can make us earn that. So we must put our trust in him in order to enter this rest. The second thing that our good shepherd does Um, gives us is refreshing. So the second part of verse two says, he leads me beside still waters. Um, And here's the thing. Sheep will not drink from a stream that is running too quickly. I learned about this this week. Um, In fact, if they do, they will probably fall in naturally. And I read this. um, Like camels, sheep can go long periods of time without drinking any water. And then once they find water, they can drink up to nine liters, which is a lot. Um, Unfortunately, unlike camels, sheep depend on the shepherd to find the water for them. They are not smart enough to find it on their own. Um, So sheep are very dependent on their shepherd for water, for shelter, for medication. They need aid in like birthing. Um, They're pretty helpless. And here's the thing. Sheep know that they're thirsty, but they don't know how to find what they need to satisfy that thirst. They may go looking to satisfy it in a place that is dangerous or even deadly to them without their shepherd's guidance. And who knows, we have needs and desires, and we are very aware of them. 
but we don't always know how to truly satisfy our heart's desires. And our good shepherd, the Lord, knows our hearts, knows what we need, and knows exactly how to satisfy those desires um, and fulfill them because he created us. So Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? And the good news for us is that our good shepherd can, and he knows how to satisfy those desires. So, my page, okay. The third thing that the good shepherd provides is restoration. So verse three says, he restores my soul. Just soak in that. He restores my soul. This word soul is actually referring to the whole person. So the good shepherd brings life back to the whole person. And that's the key word, restore. So brings back what once was. Whatever has been lost or depleted, um, God promises us that he will restore it, that he will bring it back and give it new life. And Isaiah 49.5 says, my God has become my strength. So let him strengthen you today. Don't believe that all is lost. God is reminding you of what he has done and what he is bringing you through. And he promises to restore all that has been lost. Restore your health, restore your soul, okay? The fourth thing our good shepherd provides is righteousness. Everybody say righteousness. So the second part of verse three says, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And we see here that the Lord is leading. He is ahead. He's bringing us down the path that he is already walking down. And how many people know you don't take directions from someone who's never been to the place that you're trying to go, right? So Proverbs tells us to ponder, to really consider the path of our feet. And Proverbs 14, 12 says, there is a way that seems right to man, but its end is the way to death. And God will lead us in righteousness or down the right path. Um, He will lead us to make decisions that are life-giving, not towards death. And in the Holy Spirit, we are promised peace, joy, and righteousness. Amen? Okay. So those are the four things. And now we can go into verse four. This thing is loud. Okay. Okay. Verse four, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Man, when you're going through it, it is really hard to actually believe this. The valley of the shadow of death or deep darkness. I had a season um, a couple of years ago that I was facing a lot of conflict friends, family, um, that was just very emotionally exhausting. And I just did not want to think about it, did not want to deal with it, didn't want to go through the emotional work. So every time I was alone, like in my car driving, I would be playing like loud music or a podcast or a book. And one day, Brittany Bring (laughs) was like, hey, I noticed that like you're never like alone, like in silence. And I was like, oh, like that's really awkward. I have to deal with it. Um, So the next time I was driving, 
didn't put anything on. And I'm not even kidding you, like a minute into silence, I burst into tears. It was just like waiting to come out of me. Um, but I really felt like God encountered me in that moment. And he gave me the lyrics of, I am no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. And he reminded me who I was in that circumstance, even though it was really hard. God is near to the brokenhearted. And it's in times of darkness that we can learn to experience his presence in a whole new way. But we cannot believe the lies that the enemy will try to tell us. Jesus invites us to follow him even though life is difficult. He tells us, in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart because I have overcome the world. And we see God's presence in trials all throughout the Bible. In Daniel 3, we see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego get thrown into a fiery furnace for worshiping God. And God doesn't remove them from that circumstance, but he is literally present with them in it, and they are able to leave totally unharmed. We see the same thing in Acts 16, 16 through 40. Paul and Silas are beat and thrown in prison for casting a demon out of a young girl in Jesus's name. And even in prison, they were praising God. They were encountering his presence in that trial. And it is God's love and his guiding presence in my attacks that causes me not to be afraid. First John 4:18 says, there is no fear in love but perfect love casts out fear. And how many people know it is a lot easier to be brave when you know that you're not alone? So let's go into our last two verses, verse five through six. It says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. I'm experiencing God's blessing. Even in this challenge, God is doing infinitely more than we could ask, think, or imagine. He goes on to say, Surely goodness and mercy, or steadfast love, shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell. And this word dwell is the same as what we looked at earlier, restore. The same word, uh, I shall dwell or be restored in the house of the Lord forever, for the length of my days, for all of my life. So we come to a little transition in this point of the passage where we go from God being our shepherd and we're sheep to God being the host of this beautiful banquet and we are his honored guests. So we are in the presence of our enemies. There is a table and in the world of the Old Testament to eat and to drink at someone's table created a bond of mutual loyalty and was often the culminating token of a covenant being made. We see this in Exodus 24, 8 through 12, when the elders of Israel beheld God and ate and drank. Um, in the tabernacle of Moses, there were all these pieces of furniture, and they all had significance, and one of them was a table. And on the table was literally the bread of the presence. Often in scripture, table is the symbol for salvation, like in Luke 13, 29, when it says people will come from east and west and north and south and will take their place at the feast in the kingdom of God. And then, of course, at the Last Supper, Jesus gathers his disciples around a table of communion and instates his new covenant. And the table has always been a symbol of real presence, just like it is today. It's around a dinner table that we share stories, family values, heritage, intimacy, relationship with one another. 
But the problem in this passage is that this table is in the presence of our enemies. Do you ever read Bible and you're like, I would have written that differently, Lord, like anywhere but in the midst of my enemies? Like how about a table with all of my closest friends? That sounds great. Or a table by a peaceful stream, nice and quiet. Or even a table where my enemies are very, very far away and they're behind like glass like at a zoo and I can like (laughs) you know um anywhere but in the presence of my enemies so why would the table be in the midst of the problems that I'm probably trying to get away from and this is what I believe God is saying saying I'm not going to extract you from a broken world God prepares a table for two in the midst of brokenness so just imagine you are in the midst of attack whatever that looks like for you. The arrows are flying. I kind of imagine that one scene in Endgame when everybody's there and it's like this crazy battle. Uh, And there in the middle of this battle is a table with two chairs and it's full of all of the best foods. Like just imagine all your favorite foods. It's like overflowing. Like grapes are like rolling off the table. Um, And as you approach, you see that the other person at the table is the Lord. You sit down, and just right there, it's quiet. And he is aware of the enemies, but all of his focus is on you. So you sit down, and he asks you, how are you? Are you thirsty? Do you want a drink? Here, let me, let me pour it for you. Do you want this? I know that it's your favorite. I made that with you in mind. Okay, how are you really? I missed you. I love you. Tell me everything that's going on. I'm listening. You have my full attention. You're sitting across from the Lord who is attentive and kind and a good host. And he knows you. He made you. He knows what you need. And he's very present. He just wants to be right there with you. And the enemy is not welcome at this table. There's only room for two people. He can only watch because he does not have fellowship with God but he will do anything to try and distract you. If I could get the worship team to come on up. Um, The enemy will try and lie to you. He'll tell you lies like, it's better at another table. You're not good enough. You are surrounded and there's no way out. And let me tell you, I have had times of totally believing these lies. I have literally been in a church service, in worship, with my hands up, thinking, oh yeah, they're better than me. That's why they got that opportunity, and I didn't. That's why they got invited to that thing, and I didn't. And I'm just sitting there eating up these lies that the enemy is trying to feed me. So my question is for you guys, whose voice will you listen to in these circumstances? And if the enemy cannot convince you of his lies, He will make you too busy to even sit down, to stop you from entering God's presence. Instead of sitting down for a meal with your maker, you settle for some sort of fast food. And how many people know fast food might fill you for a moment, but it seldom has the nutritional value that you need to be sustained. Will you come to the table that the Lord has set and like, in those TV shows, grab a piece of toast off of like this table just overflowing with food and be like, oh yeah, God, like this is amazing. This is wonderful. Uh, thanks for all that. I'm just going to have this. I have to go. Like I'll talk to you later. Thanks, thanks again. That is not presence. The enemy will do whatever he can to rob us of intimacy with the Lord. 
So how do we stop him from coming and trying to take a seat at the table of the Lord's presence? We take our seat. There's only two seats there. How do we stop the enemy from coming and telling us those lies? We take our seat at the table that the Lord has set for us. And remember, it's not what's at the table that's important. It's who's at the table. So who is our, our dinner guest? First Timothy 1.17 says, He is the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God. Romans 11.33 and 36 says, Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Job 26.14 says, These are just the beginnings of all that he does. Merely a whisper of his power. Who then can comprehend the thunder of his power? We cannot let the presence of evil convince us that God is not present. It is in the presence of strife that we're given the invitation to the table with our king. And Psalm 34, 8 invites us to this table saying, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. So will we continue to believe the lies that the enemy tells us? Or will we allow him to distract us from our good shepherd? Or will we sit down to experience the real intimate presence of the Almighty at the table that he has set for us? And if you've never actually experienced this intimate relationship with the Lord, let me tell you, you should. Um, If you're here today and you heard that he wants to be present in every moment of your life, to be present with you, that he loves you. And today you want to release the reins like we talked about and say, Jesus, I'm not satisfied trying to lead my life on my own. I want to let go and let you lead. Let you be my good shepherd. We want to give you that opportunity today. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, the Bible calls Jesus Emmanuel, meaning God with us. Jesus was God in the flesh. Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us. He came to be with us physically in Jesus to be as close and present as ever. And the Bible says that God made him who knew no sin, that's Jesus, to become sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus took on all of that sin that separated us from God, that we might experience his presence and be able to come into relationship with him, forgiven of everything, made righteous in Jesus's death on the cross. So if you're here today and you say, I want to experience God's everyday presence, I want to be forgiven and enter into that relationship with God today, I'd just like you to raise your hand wherever you are. This is a special moment if you want to pray this prayer with us. If there's anyone in the room, you guys can just put up your hand. Anybody with us today? Thank you. All right, we're going to all pray this prayer together. Dear Jesus, thank you that you love me that you died for my sin so that I could have relationship with you. Lead me, Lord. Restore me. I want to enter into your presence. Come into my life. Forgive my sin. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your forgiveness. I want to follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, everybody say amen. All right, you guys can stand today. Let's enter into worship.
job um, you know take that with you carry that with you through the week and um, we'll see you back next week Harvest we love you thank you for showing up this morning and be blessed and um, enjoy the day